Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Perfect Imbalance. On this show, we bring together conversation and expertise. My name is Jeff Way, and I'm the founder of Perfect Imbalance, the first podcast to challenge the myth of work-life balance and explore alternatives for improving overall well-being. Each week, I'll be interviewing different thought leaders, elite sports performers and entrepreneurs to understand how they are achieving happiness, success and greater fulfilment in their lives. So here's to you, the listeners, joining us each week. Welcome to Perfect Imbalance. On this episode, I interview Dave Algio, the stress guru and energy behind the Man Sprouts podcast. In our fascinating conversation, Dave and I talk about a number of things, including well-being, balance and men's mental health. We also explore Dave's fascination with vegetables. Here's Dave. Dave, thank you very much indeed for agreeing to come on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to spend some time with you. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Brilliant to be along. Thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Good man. Now, I shared my views on work-life balance and perfect imbalance is what I very much see as as an alternative view to that. I'd love to get your thoughts, as I have done with other guests, on what's your thinking around work-life balance. Yeah, um, I like the perfect balance idea because um, I've I've been working in this whole area of resilience, stress, well-being for a good good number of years, and obviously, especially in the police, etc. And I remember when this phrase "work-life balance" became a thing, um, and I, I get it. I get what it was aimed at, and perhaps the world of work. My memory is a bit vague, vague vacant vacant it probably is vacant now actually but it's a bit vague on what it was back then um but it might have worked for that time because the idea is to stay and i still get people talk about it in workshops i just i want this balance thing i want this i want to be able to leave work at work and home you know have me home and be at home that kind of thing in my head so i get it but i think clearly <laughs> the world works just far the world of life basically it's just far more complex isn't it there's, there's so many opportunities to blow the edges so many pressures you've got work admin but you've also got life admin um and you've got demands pulling at you all, all over the place and i think whilst having some lines to delineate so you can create like you know right that's me non-negotiable i'm stopping at seven o'clock six o'clock whatever time i think that could be useful but be so rigid around trying to get a balance in things, whether it's 50, 50, 60, 40, whatever, I think is going to create more stress and seems to when I talk to people in workshops or coaching. Do you, do you know what I mean? So I get what it's about, but I try to steer away from this idea of work-life balance now. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and and I love listening to you there, you know, give it a little bit of your own experience in, in terms of the clients and the workshops that, that you're delivering. You know, stress is is important and it is on the increase and and working to confines of a rigid work-life balance isn't always helpful um i think there probably was a time where it benefited people but clearly you know work has increased and and you know technology has made that you know available to us outside of work traditional working hours but at the same time people's focus on life has changed as well and they're able to do so many yeah. more things that you know perhaps our our parents and grandparents weren't able to do yeah absolutely i think i was listening to something the other day and i can't remember where i was listening to it at, but talking about productivity and you know i love to geek out on productivity you know different techniques etc but the the trap that you fall into there is that you you simply get more productive so you try to do more in that time and I think that's one of the challenges we've got today at work and home we try to cram so much more in and we expect so much more of ourselves and this work-life balance kind of adds another dimension to that like I've got to have these clear lines I've got to you know it's got to be so rigid etc and um, I often use the analogy of the the tightrope walker you know if you're, if you're trying to walk that tightrope of work-life balance and you've got no net under you then once misstep and you're off and you know it's catastrophic but in reality that's not the way it works is it you, you can add a lot of stress that way 
and I, I tend to use the analogy of the um, the aircraft flying from here to Australia, for example. You know, it's off course a lot of the time, but it gets to Australia because it corrects course because it spots the signs of it getting off course. You know, the turbulence blows it one way or this way or that way. And I think if we just flex a little bit more, but we're aware of our the warning signs or signs that say, you know, I've spent a bit too much time over work or, or you know, neglected the family side and just be gentle with ourselves, but correct course rather than being this rigid, must have this balance. And that seems to me a little bit more of a, a forgiving way of working and living today, particularly when there are so many demands we place on ourselves, you know. I like the fact you've given us two analogies to, to think about there, the tight the tightrope walker and, and the aircraft flying to Australia. And, and, and the key for me is, is very much, you know, getting ourselves back on course, correcting ourselves if we go off course, but, yeah, but knowing yeah. that sometimes we will go off course and that's okay as well, because I think we can beat ourselves up about yeah, it. Yeah. Well, exactly. I'm, and you're right, there are will be times in your life when, you know, an area of your life needs more attention than another and the trick is to just know that there's going to have to be some sort of regress of that balance once things settle down whether it's work or, or something at home or a you know a health issue with a family member at home we we need to know that that's our attention but what about you know how do we then re, you know get back and correct in due course you know yeah i'm with you 100 percent now Dave, moving away from a traditional job title, um, for the listeners, really more than anything else, describe what it is that you do and why people want to work and interact with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I t- I've subtitled the stressed guru, uh, stressed as in stressed out. And I think that's, it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek stroke, um, serious title, if you like. Um because one of the things I work in, you know, delivering workshops around raising awareness on you know, how to manage your stress more effectively, look after your well-being, what what you can do to develop your personal resilience, even teams and, you know, for managers to look after their teams, etc. But one of the things that I was very, very keen to do was to highlight that I'm not going to come at them with a six-step recipe too, you know, for this and you're sorted, <laughs> you know. Um and that I'm perfect because I'm anything but, you know, the reason I deliver in this area and work in this area is because I've had my own challenges and I'm still a work in progress very much, um, you know, with challenges with anxiety in the past, um, working as a police officer in lots of different challenging areas and roles, experienced and worked with people and public who've coped with incredible, incredibly difficult things. I am aware that the real world is not as clean cut as a six recipe that we can follow, you know. So I, I wanted to kind of come across as just a down to earth bloke who's been through it, still work in progress, but has done the work and the research and here's some practical t- stuff um, that could very well help you, you know. I, and I think that's the key. Yes. And, and listening to you, you know, share a bit more of your experience there and insight into you know, the fact that you're work in progress, um, also sharing yeah. some of your experience there from within the police force. I like the idea that you haven't gone down the, here are the six steps to follow, albeit that we, we live in this space at the moment where, you know, people want that quick fix, that sticky plaster to yeah. put over it. When we're talking about things like stress and, and well-being as a whole, generally that there isn't a six steps to follow. Um, it's not going to fit everybody. So it's refreshing, actually, to hear you say that that's, that's not what you're choosing to do. Um, and at the same time, you're not putting yourself out there as, look at me, I, you know, I've nailed stress. I, I am the model for you to follow, which, which yeah. you know, is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and probably the model not to <laughs> It's it's uh, it's funny, isn't it? I, I think it's, sometimes I deliver stuff and I think, Dave, listen to this one. <laughs> listen to this one yourself at the moment, you know, um, because we, this is the reality, isn't it? That um, don't get me wrong, I get I get the six step processes and I read a lot of self development. Some really good, some not so good. And these kind of principles of or six steps to can be helpful, but they can also when they don't necessarily fit you perfectly, be another source of guilt and stress, 
So it's about using them just as a, well, I'll take that bit. Well, that, that sounds useful. I'll try that and become your own. I like to talk about you become your own scientist, effectively. I mean, the, the big thing that helped me when I started to really get to grips with things personally was when I started to A, take responsibility for it, not blame, but responsibility, but then start to experiment or adopt an experimental approach to things. So if I read something that said six steps to perfect sleep, for example, just pulling that one out, um, I would then try and play around with them and find that probably one of them worked really well for me. And then I'd move on, you know, and I'd kind of find something else. And over time, you find stuff, and then five years later, that stuff doesn't relate to your life now, etc. So it's a constant shifting and changing. But for me, that's what's exciting about life. It's about seeing the shifts and changes and, and growing with it, you know, and um, understanding that, the rough and tumble of life is is also it's where the pressure and the stress and sometimes the difficult times and the unpleasant times come from. It's also where the fun and the excitement and the, the variation and interest come from. Yeah, absolutely. At what point did you discover and decide to focus your work on well-being and stress? Yeah. Um, Interesting. I think personal experience back in 2007, I set my business up in 2006 when I was uh, still working in the place and I was delivering leadership programs to um, sergeants, inspectors and, and equivalent staff, uh, non-police officers uh, equivalents. And um, I thought, you know, I've always wanted to run my own business. I think I'll set up a business and I may as well do training because that's what I was doing. And I always loved teaching, um, but I had no idea how to run a business. So I remember jumping ship. Um, leaving the place, taking a career break, thankfully, to run my business and completely just crashing and burning um, and having the, the most stressful year of my life to the point where lots of things happened personally in my li- life as well, but having to get to the point where I had to ring Northern Rock, who are now no longer in existence, but the building society to say, I'm almost two months to rears. How much do I need to pay you to not be in rears? And they said, two pounds. So I had like effectively scratched down the, around the back of the settee to find two and run down the Northern Rock and peered in to stop it. And it was that point I thought, this is ridiculous. So I then thought, right, do you want to do this business? Is your ultimate aim to leave the police fully and to run the business? The answer was yes. Right. Well, get real. Go back to the police and work out what you need to earn part time. So I went back part time initially and rebuild this business. And out of that came this fascination with how have I coped over this last year? Because for me, stress isn't the issue. Although I teach it, stress gets in the way of where I want to be, how I want to feel, what I want to do. Does that yeah, make sense? This, I'm, I'm using stress as a catch-all. I'm not really using it in, you know, I'm kind of using it as this general term. Um, but the, the things that undermine you, disrupt you, make you feel crap and demotivated, it's those things that get in the way, really, of the stuff that, that you actually want in life. So for me, to that year had been a lot about that. I wanted a business. I wanted to leave the police. I wanted to support myself and have a good lifestyle around it. And yet I was faced with lots of dilemmas, lots of challenges, and lots of self-inflicted or imposed self-sabotage and stresses. And that's what fascinated me. So I decided, right, it was around about the you know the 2007-8 economic collapse. So there was lots of people onto the market becoming trainers and consultants and what have you. And I thought... I, I'm just going to have to stand out somewhere. So how do I do that? And that was when I started to decide, well, I'm fascinated by this area. I've had personal experience. Um, Maybe I started to develop my own niche and brand in this. And that's where Stressed Guru came from, you know, that idea that I'm not perfect, but here's practically what helped me cope positively. Um, Here is what the science says. And then I started to use the, the metaphors of the cabbages and the sprouts as, as metaphors that were more memorable. So they, that's what helped stand out. Really. Now, for those listening that haven't come across your work, they're going to be thinking now, <laughs> sprouts, radishes, vegetables, what, what, what's going yeah. on there? Well, elaborate. Give us a little bit more insight into what you do with the sprouts and the radishes and the cabbages and those types of things. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, it's developed over years, but the first point was, I remember reading some, uh, actually the book was Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, and it's a great book if you want to press the hell out of yourself about the physiology of stress on the body. <laughs> it's very readable. Robert Sapolsky, he's a brilliant um, psychologist. Um, he studies animal psychology and what have you as well. But he wrote that book, and it was it, it's great because it talks about the physiology and impact of stress on on us as human beings and I remember reading it and think and just for whatever reason talking about the cumulative load of demands and the strains of life and the impact on us and I remember having this picture and only people of a certain age will remember this but having a picture of the game cabbages and kings from Cracker Jack um, some of your audience will get that and be saying now Friday five five Cracker Jack and others will be going what's he on about <laughs> but the point is that visual of the game uh, where you, they used to get four or five kids up on a stage asking questions. They get asked questions to win prizes. They got a prize that they get a toy, you know, um, a proper toy like a fire engine, not one of these Nintendo <laughs> DX things, but a proper toy. Um, but then if you got it quite wrong, you get a cabbage. And the, the trick was that if if you avoided getting three cabbages because three cabbages meant you were out, and you could be the last kid standing there holding this pile of toys and cabbages, you'd answer that last question, get your crackerjack pencil. And then you take away the prizes. And for me, that was an image of, if you can picture that, even if you haven't seen the show, the picture, the, the, this eight, nine-year-old kid holding a bunch of toys, desperately trying not to drop anything with the cabbages on top. That was an image of how we can get bogged down with the stresses and strains of life. The good stuff, the good demands, and the not good, which are the cabbages. And that was kind of where that started to be born. I tried it out at a couple of workshops and conferences, and it seemed to go down well. And it took me a while to then start a development metaphor into chunking cabbages into sprouts, letting the right sprouts, nurturing your inner radish and things like that. So it kind of took different areas of resilience and you, the metaphors, <laughs> took them even further. You know? And it's um, it seems to, you know, it sticks in people's memories, I think, is, which is useful when you're stressed, isn't it? I think you're too stressed sometimes to know you or manage your stress. So it's useful to have something said. Absolutely. And... and- you know, as you're talking there and, and sharing where it's come about, I'm having flashbacks uh, from younger years. And I, I can see those kids um, with the toys and, and their faces lighting up, but also, yeah. you know, invariably with the cabbages as well. Um, so, yeah, yeah. You, you, you create, I say you created it. You've come across something there which is hugely visual and also emotional. So people will remember it, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good, and 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 even if you haven't seen the show, I get somebody out to sort of hold a few items, and it sort of illustrates some of the key points that I like to make around that. You know that um, we can get down with cabbages, and it's not that we can separate home and life. That it's it's all the cabbages together, plus the cuddly toys get forgotten about. You know, the good stuff gets forgotten about. Um, so it's really useful. It does. Um, yeah. Dave, I'm interested. What what are some of your own strengths? traits or behaviours that have allowed you to develop and, and achieve what you have so far in your life? Yeah, right. <laughs> Interesting one. Um, I'll say strengths, stroke weaknesses if I overdo them. <laughs> but I think I tend to be very... I, I'm, I'm prone to overthinking, you know, sort of thinking lots and overthinking. But when I dial that back a bit... I like to think things through. I like to read and to learn, and I think that's one of the areas that really excites me. So I'm always I'm always reading and digging and thinking, and then trying to think how to turn that into something I can teach. You know, that seems to be something that I'm I really get excited by, um, and uh, I I guess I enjoy I just enjoy sort of helping people and helping people. You know, that light bulb moment when if somebody has that light bulb moment of Ah, maybe I could use that. I'll get that. Ah, right. I'm going to try this. I just love that. I love that idea of contributing to that. Somebody going away thinking, right? I've got, I've got a tool in the kit, or I've got a, a different way of thinking about things. Um, that's what really fires me up, you know. And and I can sense that, you know, speaking to you, and and we had a conversation before today as well, where when I got that energy and that passion around helping others and sharing some of, of your own learning. Have there been some great teachers or encouragers al- along the way as part of your journey? Um, yeah, I, 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 I've got... 
there are people in my life sort of I remember my first sergeant who's now a good friend um he was you know one of those people that um was an exemplar of of calm and collectedness as a as a sergeant in the police but one of the things that he would do whenever I came in panicking as a new probationist and Sarge Sarge I've, I've, I've cocked up I've done this oh, you know that kind of stuff he'd sit me down and um, he'd kind of you know help me to get it in perspective and then he'd, he'd start to encourage me to ask me your own questions and that's something that's always stuck with me because I think it's a very powerful way of learning so he was very influential for me and um, I guess I, I've just picked up and read loads and and you know have me own kind of heroes within the the world of psychology and self-development um and um yeah I, tim ferris is an author that i particularly like for his work I, i'm sure it's maybe been mentioned before but four hour work week I, I particularly was a book that i well it's a book i listen to every year um just to sort of pull some nuggets out of it um yeah, and I've got I've got some good friends who are in that in the space as well. Who uh, you know, we we have a little mastermind group that support each other. You know, for advice, guidance, support, keep up the backside from time to time. You know that kind. Of thing. I, I I love that you mentioned Tim Ferriss there. Um, it, it's one of my favourite yeah. books, The Four Hour Work Week, and I have to admit I must have read it at least 10, 10 11 times. Um, yeah. Because even though the the message is, is, is a clear one uh, from the off. There's still little nuggets in there that as I go back over, I'm able to draw out and think, well, why, why haven't I done anything with this beforehand? And it, probably because I wasn't yeah. in the right space to do something with it. But there's a lot of sense that comes out of that book. Yeah, there's a couple of things, you know, I mean, I, I listen to it because I know I go back and I think, yep, you've drifted again. Because <laughs> the, the title belies really the subject, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's a catchy marketing title, but the idea is why put your life on hold until retirement or that lottery win when life's happening now and really use work, however, you know, whatever work is to you, to to support you living and being present more in and doing the things that you, you really want to do. Um and I think it's easy to drift, isn't it, with the demands and challenges of life, lose sight of what really matters. So for me, it's just a way of touching base. Um, and I've over the last few years, I've got, I've got um, uh, my third child, little Rosie, she's three now. But when we came along three years ago, one of the things I decided to do with myself and my partner, Leslie, was I kind of had always had in my mind this idea of developing my business into a, a lifestyle type business so not necessarily you know making millions or world domination be nice but you know but no but more around build a lifestyle that business supports and suits that so we with that inspiration of the the, the four-hour work week and the things i'd learned whilst juggling the business with working in the place you know the, the kind of managing your time more effectively decided to set up a three-day week type model for the business so effectively Tuesday Wednesday Thursdays for the business and then Monday Fridays I would I would look after Rosie and actually spend time with her and see her going up she starts nursery next year and I'm look I'm looking forward to it in some respect to be able to concentrate on some projects but I'm going to miss the time that I've it's been a gift you know what it's what the four hour weeks helped me to do every so often every time I tap into it is to realize you've lifted again Dave and remember the principle here and, and what have you you know so it's a really good book really good book for, for helping you reframe how you view work yeah and it is for a lot I know when I read it the first time I was in the corporate world and I thought to myself well how do I go from doing that to to you know typically yeah. you know traditionally we're doing four hours a week and I thought it's, it, it, I couldn't comprehend it um, and actually yeah. you know it's taken me a number of years to like you have evolved that thinking to get real clarity on what it is that you want and what's important and something like you know the decision that you made to do a three-day week you know for a lot of people would be a big shift right now but for you it was actually actually the best thing that could happen and that time that you've had with Rosie as, as a, a great mentor always says to me, and he's run his own business for 15 years now, you never get that time back. So to be able to have had yeah. it is fantastic. Yeah. And I'm not uh, I'm not trying to paint a picture of it. It's been a messy three-day week. <laughs> you know, it's been far from perfect. But on the whole, it's worked. But a lot of that was because of years of lessons and painful but hard work beforehand, if that makes sense. So, you know, there was times when I was running, working full time shifts in the police then running the business and, and 
almost burning out and I was teaching this stuff and you know so it's kind of not like I suddenly was able to do it and let's let's all get happy about this vision that I'm I'm doing it was it was it was a seed that saw years and years ago that I wanted to do first time I read the four hour work to be honest but it took a while for me to bring it to fruition um I would like to think that if I was giving somebody advice or help, you know, offering that kind of mentoring or whatever to somebody now, I'd help them accelerate that process because I think I'm my own worst enemy, being a stubborn, pig-headed, whatever that I can be. Um, but, yeah, it's it, it's been lovely, but I don't want to paint the picture that it was just, you know, you, you can just go out there and do it because the reality is you've still got to make a living, you've still got to pay the mortgage, you've still got to do these things, haven't yeah, you? It, it, you're absolutely right, and... and... It takes a lot of reframing in your own mind and then the conversations that, that follow that with your family and, and your friends. And, and I still see it now. I'm, I'm fortunate. You know, I made some decisions and I am able to take my little girl, who's three as well, to, to school, well, to nursery at school. And you meet yeah. other parents in, in the playground and, and they ask you, you know, what you do and how you're getting on. And. And usually the measure of, of how well you're doing is how busy you are. Um, and, and, and yeah. you know, the reason, the reason yeah. I say that is because that, that's usually the question they ask you. How's things? Yeah, good. Business good? Yeah, busy? And, and it, we don't really define it or elaborate. We, we just measure it in terms of busyness. Well, when you work for yourself, often it is messy. And, you know, you are doing a number of different things on a particular day to focus on that business and and there might be quieter days and there might be quieter weeks but it's still measured yeah. in some ways by how busy we are rather than actually what, what's that look like for you what's a three-day week for me some days some weeks for me it might be a two-day week it might be a five-day week and, and it just it varies so much it's not for everybody but I think it's really important what you say there is it, it's not just happened for you overnight. It's taken a number of years to to evolve and, and to get it to the place where it is right now. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the biggest challenges is this, This you talk about the busy, I think the, the mindset around that is that unless you're doing something, you can feel guilty or as if you're not contributing or if you I should be, etc. And one of the challenges I found was when I was having the days with Rosie and I'm having them, um, I still find my head drifts off to, oh, I could be doing this, I should be doing that. And and it's challenging this this habit of busy, this habit of feeling like you should. And one of the things that seems to come up a lot in my workshops is guilt. <laughs> um, and I'm good with guilt. I think a lot of us are. That, and, and that can drive a lot of these habitual habitual behaviours to just keep working, to work hard, to please, to work harder and create something that's m- better than good enough even if it's going to make yourself ill that kind of thing and I think they're really important things to recognize that there are demands there are challenges there are needs we have to pay the mortgage etc but sometimes it's about looking at ourselves and how are we driving ourselves with those thinking patterns you know yeah it's good that you've uh, touched on guilt because I think it's one of those things that we do feel um, and and perhaps that can then manifest itself in, in terms of stress uh, if if we're not doing yeah. a typical, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five, then, you know, we can start to feel guilty. I, I, I do it. Uh, I'm the same as you in that respect. You know, I'll do something in the morning and then I might take a couple of hours out in the afternoon. I might take my mum for lunch. And, and there's that little bit yeah. of guilt inside me that says, well, I should be working. But then you have that little conversation in your mind that says, well, what work would you be doing? And you'd be like, well, I've got this to do. I've got that to do. Well, actually, I'm enjoying a couple of hours out as well, which, you know, it, it doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen every week, but it's about allowing yourself the opportunity to enjoy that rather than allowing the guilt uh, to build and, and to manifest itself. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you an interesting exercise that I've just been doing. This stuff just out of um, my own, for my own interest is to look back over the, say, the last couple of years and just try and have a think about the work that I've done when I've been in that. Just I've got lots to do and I've I've, I've got I'm busy, etc. And if I'm honest, um, I look back the, the large proportion and, I, and I, you know, I could put the 80 20 rule on it, but there is a large proportion, 50 plus if not going towards 80% of what I've done over the last couple of years that really hasn't made a difference or hasn't counted. Now, I could look at that and think, 
what, what are you doing with your life? Or I could look and think, right, does that not tell you something, Dave, that actually a lot of this busyness isn't wealth? You know, I'm busy, but I'm not necessarily thinking it through or, or that I can allow myself that time because when I focus on the stuff that really matters, there's only a few things that really make a difference to me business or to me life or to me health or whatever, you know? And I think sometimes it's useful to, to reframe that. I look at sales and customer, you know, for, for business and customers. I do, I probably don't do enough <laughs> sales and what have you, but when I look at what I have done, the majority of my business has come from two or three keen work events where I've presented, met two or three key people who've then led to me, introduced to a couple of clients who've then led to other clients. And then, do, do you know what I mean? So the majority of my work has come from a core two or three activities. And then the rest of it has just been, uh, I don't know, what, funny and round, if I'm allowed to use that word on your podcast, but it's been fun and funny and I basically. It. I love it. And yes, and yes you, <laughs> you can know. use it. You know, we had the, <laughs> the previous <laughs> guest that uh, talked about willy waving. Um, in, in, in terms of <laughs> ego and <laughs> well yeah yeah that's another way of looking at this isn't it <laughs> that, that's a great exercise to do yeah. and, and you know strangely enough I am reflecting on the last few years as you're saying that and looking at the work that I've done and, and coming to the same conclusion or a very similar conclusion to what you've just shared there that actually you know 80% of my work has come from two or three key clients, two or three key customers that, yeah. you know, I've been, a, yeah. I've been able to connect with, build that relationship, and all of a sudden different different doors have opened. Yet we do yeah. come back to this busyness. Now, you know, we're looking at it from a, a an external or a consultant perspective. It's happening in organizations as well where we're oh, forgetting yeah. completely yeah, about, you know, productivity or, or effectiveness because we've, We've taken on this badge of honour called busyness, and everybody's busy right now. I also think there's a power dynamic in that a lot of people don't necessarily feel like they have a choice sometimes, you know, just to find work. Now, whether they do or not, it's a different different matter. But I remember working on a project within the police uh, a, good, a couple of few a few years ago when I was in there. But I remember working for months on this particular project and creating this massive report on performance management and it sat on the chief superintendent's desk for months already and I'm not convinced he ever read it yet do, do you know what I mean I, I know that's kind of a caricatured example but how often is a lot of what we do in order to achieve this or that it's because it's been directed by somebody else who may have been acting out of stress themselves so it's kind of digging deep into some of that, um, that area my experience of working with a lot of the my clients, NHS and, and other public sector, is that they are they are and have been getting to grips with that as a, a lot more now because they've had to obviously with the resources and the challenges. Um, you know, they they are starting to challenge that kind of thinking and and way of working. But obviously, they're big, big organisations, aren't they? Big, slow-moving organisations with great people in, but like a tanker, it takes a while to turn. It does. You're absolutely right. I want to explore a little bit more some of the stuff that you're doing. Now, you have featured on a number of stages. Um, I see that you've shared some of your stress wisdom with people like Davina McCall. And you also host the A Man a Sprouts podcast. Firstly, how, how did the name The Stressed Guru come about? Well, that was more from the, the perspective, I'm trying to think now. I think it was, yes, to sort of come, a, come at it from the idea of, look, I'm not perfect. Here's what works for me. Here's what the science and the research say. Let's see what, what you could do with it. But as much as that, it was that ironic kind of nod to the gurus in the world of like you know, self-development, et cetera, to kind of thumb me nose at them almost. You know, in a tongue-in-cheek way, shall we? In a friendly way, not in a disrespectful way, because a lot of them are very, very committed and do a lot of good work. But this idea that um, you have to be all glossy and happy, clappy, and perfect yourself in order to deliver this stuff never sat right with me. You know, um, so that's kind of where that phrase, the the the, the stress guru, came from originally. I think I, I love that because you, you're right. When you when I see guru, certainly. 
I think, well, what, what makes that person a guru? Um, and and yes. have other people called them a guru, or is that a title that they've given them themselves? But actually, in this instance, you've yeah. you've done it very much tongue in cheek, which which I'm not surprised by, um, having spent some time with you. It is very much within your personality, and you're very yeah. keen to position yourself as the not the guru, if you like, um, yeah. because you're yeah. you're living yeah. working progress, which which is fantastic, and and it it provokes a very different thought in people's minds when they start to hear you and and see you, and then link it back to to the stress guru. And here's the deeper thing that I was thinking about since, and, and I can't claim to have thought about this when I, when I came up with the name. We all have our own inner guru. Did you know that? Mm. <laughs> but the, the, the point is that we all have, this is the, the, I'm saying that tongue in cheek, but we actually have a part of us that I think is probably as wise as any so-called guru out there. But what we need to do is give it an opportunity to, to listen to it, but also give it an opportunity to play an experiment um, because the times, you know, and I've maybe listened to me instincts and try stuff, despite what I should be doing, you know, this six-step plan, this, you know, didn't fit with that. Um, those times of when I've really made the biggest moves forward in terms of my health or, or mindset or whatever, you know, it's when I started to trust that little inner voice that says, hang on a minute, mind your neck in, Dave, you know, whatever it is, you know, we've all got a little voice inside us and it's learned to trust that a little bit more. Yeah, I... I... I agree. I think we do have uh, an inner guru. I, I spent a lot of my earlier day in the police as a cop trying to just be perfect and not make mistakes. And it was just exhausting. And the, when I started to relax about it and just allow myself to just trust that I knew things, that my experience will grow, I might make mistakes here and there, but my intentions are good, I'll learn, I'll accept and admit what I've made mistakes. Things started to get smoother and better and I became a better cop such you know yeah and i think it does very much take the allowing yourself to make mistakes and accepting that yourself yeah. um in order for you to do that i think if somebody else says look it's okay make mistakes if we're not comfortable with that or comfortable with with the output of that and how others might view it then we we can still kind of tiptoe around a little bit and, and not make mistakes i i can remember working with a a director at, at M&S Money who was very big on, you know, asking forgiveness and not permission, which I found hugely empowering uh, at that point in my career because I wanted to trust my gut. I wanted to make decisions. I wanted to, to go and do stuff. But I had this little voice that, you know, was holding me back saying, well, what if it doesn't go yeah. right? What if you fail? What if you make mistakes? What will other people say? And, and just to hear that from him... And then to see it in action, you know, him sharing that with other people was hugely empowering. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you do need to hear that from somebody else to give you that permission, don't you? And I think that's where mentors and, and friends, wiser, more experienced friends who've maybe been through, been through the bars themselves can really help you. Um, and I think, I think that actually that's one of the best things you can learn in life. I, I'm, saying that as it definitely is but you know there's lots of things you can learn but one of them is just to give yourself a break and be prepared to make some mistakes as long as you can you know, learn from them and and admit and say sorry if you need to but i think it can be really freeing and allow you to be to reach more of your potential massively yeah. Hey, yeah. talk to us a little bit more about man sprouts your podcast it's evolved really out of uh, becoming aware over the years as i've delivered workshops predominantly in you know, large public sector organisations. Um, conferences, not so much, because you get a mixed audience, but workshops where people are, the workshops advertise and people voluntarily come along because they want to develop the resilience or manage stress. There was a a large proportion of, of women in the audience, and usually, say, say a group of 40, just as a, a sample, that you might have two or three blokes in the audience, in the group, and it always struck me as that you know generally women are better at um at acknowledging the emotional side of stress stress and strain and, and the need to open up and connect etc cetera, etc cetera. and i started to dig into some of the research and um there's a uh a, a 
Dr. George Medine, who uh, did some research, he's, he's Bradford University, he's got on consultancy and he do, he's got a resilience diagnostic. But he did some work on gender difference and, and he, the way he phrased it was that um, blokes generally, generally, and we are talking generalising the population, don't have a, a, a way of articulating emotion. And it always struck me because I know that for me personally, I was brought up in a kind of northern town. You know, you don't cry, folks don't cry, pull yourself together. You know, you just you get on with it, um, shut the fuck up kind of attitude. Um, and I think so many of us are stuck with those kind of that upbringing. And it leads us to be uncomfortable to even put our names down to go to a stress management session unless we're either in a, in a not great place or we're a little bit like we've got over that, you know. Um, and I started to think how, how given my own experiences, my own experience with my dad, he, he was uh, alcoholic and drank himself to death earlier this year, sadly. Um, the, uh, and I'm, I'm convinced he had depression, but it was undiagnosed, etc. Um, this thing of using alcohol and silence as our defense mechanisms is is not healthy and you look at suicide figures and just generally the the research on gender difference it's clear that it's not um and i was thinking well i've had experience you know in terms of my own kind of journey i could have done with some more openness support etc and there is a growing publicity around mental health and mental well-being particularly with men and, and i know your interest is in the rugby side isn't it so you, you've kind of I think you've spoken to one or two people in that yeah. field, and I know that there are personalities in, in that area, sports personalities who have come forward. And I think that's all really healthy. But it's also how do we help somebody move through this process a little bit quicker to sort of deal with the resistance and the barriers and then move through using self-development and personal development models and tools and strategies, et cetera, to, to grow through it. And um, really, the idea of the man sprouts was just because I could just sprouts etc I, I kind of thought well that's a natural brand if you like for that um and can i develop my own little contribution to that my own way of challenging how we do or don't open up about our emotional stress and stress, you know, the emotional dynamic or aspect of our life um and that's where the podcast came out but the idea really for me is to just start that conversation um speak to people and blokes who've been through it get their experiences, but also maybe share some of the the knowledge and the tools that I've learned and picked up through time and that research suggests might be helpful for blokes. Because one of the things I think, I went on my trainer's course, police trainer's course, years ago, and I remember sitting looking at the board when he was one of the trainers was putting up a particular model. Um, I think it was a cognitive behavioural therapy model, but we were using it in the context of adult learning. Um, and I remember thinking, blokes need that. Bloke, why don't blokes get taught this stuff? And it was about reflecting negatively, you know, uh, the, the negative reflection cycle of how you can reflect negatively and then you can get yourself into a downward spiral in your mood and your feelings, etc. Um, and it's always stuck with me that just practical things like that blokes could do with because we don't unpack our emotions the way women do. No, we don't. You're absolutely right. And a lot of what you shared there resonates with me um, as well, because, you know, I grew up in, in a similar you know space in terms of how we were conditioned you know it, it wasn't good to cry you didn't show emotion uh, so what happened there was i withdrew and became quiet and and so a yeah. nod of the head or a shrug of the shoulders was a typical response or, or an answer if, if somebody asked me a question that i was uncomfortable with there isn't any opportunity or, or any training as such that's given to us as males or indeed females because because they they suffer as well but i i love the fact that you have yeah. you know honed in on on something that is a real challenge and, and a real issue and in terms of suicide rates and and men's mental health you know these these are challenges that that we face as a as a society that it, it's going to require people like you and opportunities or platforms where men can come together, men can share, men can talk openly, men can, you know, receive some, some training or, or view things in a different way through, through different models to allow us collectively to 
be a lot more open about our emotions because you know we're still playing this alpha male role which you know it yeah. it's strange in in 2018 but it, it is the harsh reality that you know we, we don't like to show any chinks in our armor yet it's what we carry around as a result of not being able to unload and to share some of these emotions that that becomes hugely damaging so it's great that you're doing you know your bit with with man sprouts um, and the podcast albeit you know you're very open and you're very honest in saying that it's work in progress and and, and it's evolving yeah <laughs> yeah I, I, and i think you kind of you hit a couple of nails on the head there. This idea that it is societal issue, etc., and and women do have the problems. The, the 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 issue is that as a bloke, I feel I can talk with more credibility from a bloke's perspective. So it's kind of all being a bit more authentic, I guess, from your own perspective, um, because you know the 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 data suggests that. Um, in general, women will experience and report more feelings of anxiety and depression. Um, and, you know, if you look at the cultural challenges and the and the rules and the expectations that, that are placed on them, but also that they place on themselves, there's no wonder. Um, and, you know, there's even, uh, uh, I haven't checked this data lately, but um, this, I remember reading some research that suggested that women do make more attempts at suicide than men, but because men choose a more blunt, immediate, violent means, there's, there's the higher rate of suicide success is the wrong word you know what i mean of of follow of, of achieving the outcome um so it's not that men are experiencing more or less or worse or etc but one of the protective factors that is clear around this whole stress and and, and not coping it's the ability to open up and seek support and then connect emotionally with other people and as a population generally women are better at doing that obviously we talk we are generalizing but I think one of the challenges we have as men is um, we're often pointed at, well, women can do it and that's what's good for them. We should do the same. And I think that we should do the same. Suddenly we interpret it, we should do it the same way. And I think as men, culturally and, and conditioning wise, we've been brought up to be, to, to think and behave differently. That there's a big shift to move from where we are now to doing it the way women do, you know, as, as, as the ideal. So kind of how do we find our own way so that we connect in ways that still feel like we are true to ourselves as individuals and as whatever this thing called man is. Uh, that's a broad spectrum, isn't it? Um, but but true to ourselves, but we don't feel like we're having to do something that's completely out of our, you know, that's just not me. I just wouldn't go up and do that. I wouldn't sit and unpack all of that kind of stuff. You know, that these are the kind of comments I get from blogs when I'm talking to them. So how do we do it? And that's really the question that I'm kind of, I suppose seeking to explore <laughs> in my own life but in others you know I still struggle with this um and I've learned ways and and you know you form as I think as you get older you your friendships change in that dynamic and you get that depth where you can open up um in different ways but it's a very it's a very different experience my understanding is very different experience than when women get together in our conversation or indeed when I'm talking to um a woman and having a conversation because there's a different dynamic there and that that different cross-gender conversation you know yeah i think i think you're right it, it's you don't want to generalize um i i think that the time is is right to you know provide platform and an opportunity for for all of us really to get a little bit more comfortable being uncomfortable talking about some of these things because clearly you know the you know the feedback coming out and, and and the signs are positive that when people feel that they can talk and unpack some of the emotion that has built up or is building up then then we start to see changes and we start we start to see positive difference um, i i think yeah. that the, the male thing is is fascinating and um, it's something that you know i have struggled with it at times and you know it, it's who, who do you go to or, or where do you go to to allow yeah. these conversations to happen and I think more and more opportunity or more and more places uh, more and more vehicles will will appear where you know some of these conversations can can start to happen and, and I think that's you know that's for the benefit of everybody 
Yeah. They are happening. I mean, I've seen a, obviously the, there's a, there's a big increase in noticeable increase in in the conversation in the media around it. But there are groups, um, and even on Facebook, local groups, pretty strong groups locally um, around you know male health, man health, man talk. Um, that you know, there's lots of different groups, and I, 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 that's that. I guess part of my what I see I would like my kind of position to be is not necessarily to be the one that feels like I need to provide those but to signpost those because there's already lots of good stuff out there and if we can save a life or just help somebody feel less feel like they they the way they feel isn't because they're a failure or weak or pathetic but actually that they, they, there's some genuine reasons there and that they're not a freak or or whatever that they can change and shift but part of that is by connecting and community and support then magic you know it's brilliant it is dave what do you see as your purpose and how you can make a contribution to the world <laughs> mm. um that's a that's a funny one timely i guess because it's something i've been reflecting on a lot lately um i guess I've been tying it into the combination of what do I love to and what what do I feel like I'm I'm good at, um, and I think I, I love to learn and then love to turn that into teaching of some sort. And what I'm interested in is having people feel just less burdened or troubled in the mind. I'm not a therapist. I don't approach it from that perspective um, because there are many many more pe- people who are better qualified at that aspect. But using learning and teaching. I to help somebody see something differently is is potentially where you know I think some of my strengths and my enjoyment lies so for me the purpose I guess is to pull those two together and I'd love to make a real difference in that area and, and kind of have people sort of see you know, feel better about themselves I guess is the point I, I, I love to have a conversation with somebody where they, they leave feeling better about themselves and not just in the moment but perhaps with something that they can use later when they're not feeling so good or they've slipped back into beating themselves up or that troubled state you know that kind of thing I think that's where that's what really gives me a buzz and uh, feels like I'm making a difference yeah it makes sense it, it does and those two words less burdened if if each of us yeah every day felt a little less burdened then surely that's that's going to be a much better world to live in absolutely i mean how much of the pain that's caused in the world is caused by people who are in pain you know and you could take that to the extreme but even on just a day-to-day basis you've snapped at the kids or partner or something like that i think for me I know that in my most troubled times, the darkest days that I've had in, in the past, the pain that I felt is not that I wish on anybody, but I also know that it it did leak out, it did it, it took it out on other people. You know, I'd be I'd withdraw so I was very cold and distant, or I'd be snappy and overly serious, distracted, whatever. You know, there's lots of lots of ways of doing it. But if we could just tap into the the, the potential to see things a little bit differently, to look for the positive albeit there are negatives in the world to look for the positives and to make that small contribution every one of us and that'd be great wouldn't it It'd be it, magic it would and i can see it happening and i can see you living that and doing that because that's that's very much come through everything that you've shared today is this learning into teaching into allowing other people yeah. to be less burdened yeah. provoked a lot of thought and then learning to do it yeah. themselves yeah learning to do it from themselves as well because we could, we've all got that's okay that's partly going back to that the inner guru we've all got the ability to a greater or less extent to to become our own teacher and our own experiment and i think that's that's the that's the real em- when you start to get empowered your life isn't suddenly going to be all happiness and roses roses for the rest of your life it's going to be rough and tumble but you're going to see it in a different way and that's what really really excites me i think yeah, it does, and and those those words rough and tumble remind me of the tumble tots that I take my daughter to. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, at that yeah. age, we don't mind rough and tumble. It, it's just become one of those things that, as we've got older and and gone through life, that we try and stay away from. But actually, there's there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of 
energy, there's a lot of learning that can come through the rough and the tumble. Absolutely, absolutely. And and if you look at kids, I know Rosie, you know, she's she's the range of emotions. And, you know, when she's angry or when she's upset, she's okay. She's okay. She's in that moment with those emotions. I think we, we can, we push away or crush down a lot of these emotions. Actually, they're just... One, one, there's a phrase that I picked up from Susan David, PhD, who wrote the book Emotional Agility. I don't know if you've come across it, but she talks about emotions being signals and data, not judgments. Um, you know, they're signals and data. So process them and then respond once you've processed them and dealt with, you know, you've weighed them up. And I think that's such an that's possibly a way for a bloke to look at it, actually. Um, it's a really good way of looking at it because there's a phrase that I always use in my workshops about guilt uh, to, to, to talk about the whole range of feelings, etc. But guilt in particular, guilt is a feeling. It's not a verdict. And yet we often act as if we're guilty. It's a verdict. We've been found guilty. And yet it's just a feeling, a signal and it's data. So that rough and tumble is the, the good emotions, the not so good emotions come along with that. But maybe being a bit more childlike with it is 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 a way of looking at it you know you provoked another thought <laughs> all right <laughs> okay now we're going to jump on to what i call the guest favorites at the end of each interview so these are okay. 60 second quick fire questions really just to provide a slightly different insight into each of my guests so dave are you ready Right. <laughs> put yep. you on the spot yep. good man Oof. right first yeah. question then someone that you admire and admit to following on social media Tim Ferriss I know that's probably a bit of a giveaway that um, or a bit of a cop out but yeah he's somebody that I um, I admire his honesty his down to earth he's talked about his feelings of suicide etc his, his pursuit of how can I find more meaning and depth that's effectiveness in work and life? So it's definitely one of them. We'll go with that. Choose three guests to have to dinner, past or present. Oh, old. Um, okay, three guests. No, put me on the spot. Um, you can, can I come back to that one? You can come that, back to there definitely are, but I, I need to have okay, to think about a those. <laughs> book or a podcast that you're currently reading or listening to? Oh, um, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. One that I'm really interested because in I'm a, to geek out on is um, Sean McCarroll's podcast, which is Mindscape. Sean McCarroll's a physicist, so I'm, I'm interested in the range of guests he gets um, from anybody talking about the mind, neurology to physics, gravity, all sorts of things. It's it's brilliant. It's mind-bending. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so, I love it when guests suggest a different podcast. I've not come across that one, so I'll have a yeah. listen. A guilty pleasure, which you do when you have some time to yourself. I listen... Uh, I don't listen to music enough, and that is the thing. I love, and this is something I, I, I've actually promised myself to do more of, is just lie in the dark with the headphones on and listen to more Pink Floyd. Chan, you crazy diamond. <laughs> it's just it's just one of those song, those pieces of music that you just can lose yourself in. I love it. Okay, an item that you take with you on a long journey. Um, oh, right. Oh, God, this <laughs> me pillow <laughs> okay <laughs> right i will explain why before you know <laughs> uh, this is about 18 months ago I, I i realized i was traveling a fair bit but and sleep as you know you spend any time in hotel, hotels etc you just don't sleep that well the, that first night etc and it was really starting to affect the energy levels particularly when i've got little roses when i'm back at home and somebody mentioned to me side sleeping pillows just randomly in a conversation and i went what what she says yeah pillows for side sleepers now i am a side sleeper i did not know and i was 46 at the time i did not know that you could get pillows for side sleepers so i went straight off to a, to a bed shop and spent my birthday money on it and bought myself a, a side sleeping pillow and i tell you what it's probably one of the most significant things i've done in sleep in terms of sleep improvement for myself and i take it with me i pack it with me and take it away so there's me. Well, you know, if it's good enough for British cycling, uh, then it's 
it's clearly oh, yes, good enough yes, for you. Yes. So when you said pillow there, I was thinking, <laughs> you've been doing some work with elite sports. That's why you've gone out and bought your own pillow. <laughs> I wish I could sit with that was the reason, but in fact, that's going to be the reason from now on. But, okay. yeah. oh, it's uh, it's sheer experimentation and a random conversation with a friend, but it was, it's been brilliant. It really Fantastic. has. Okay, three three guests to dinner, past or present. Oh, oh God. <laughs> right. Um, Uh, well, it's going to be a couple, but uh, Tim Ferriss, I would love to, to to have a conversation and sit down at dinner with him. Um, I'm trying to have a look at some of the books I've got. Because... You can just have Tim. There's uh, Robert Sapolsky. Uh, I mentioned the wise elves don't get ulcers. He's just such a... I've, I've listened to a lot of his lessons as well, and um, I think... He would be really, he's a funny writer. Um, he writes academic books, but I'm putting the book in. There's lots lots of people who, can, who write academic and are engaging and in. But he's just the subject matter that he deals with and how he deals with it. I'd just love to, I'd love to have a conversation with him about all things stress. Okay. <laughs> so I think those two off the top of my head, um, I'm struggling for a third. I'll, I'll not wake up tonight and think of the third one because there's loads of people. There's loads of people to, to have a conversation. Okay, excellent. Right, I have three <laughs> questions to finish off. Who would you like oh. to see or hear as a future guest on the Perfect Imbalance podcast? Um, do you do... Um, I'm just kind of in terms of your audience. Um, there's a friend of mine, Simon Raybould, who does a lot around. Um, he's he's written a book called Presentation Genius, but he actually has done a lot on time, the the, the evidence base around managing time and effectiveness of time. So this idea of building a lifestyle for me is I've I've learned some hard lessons and some of the stuff that he's researched and pulled together in his book Air which is, stands for Act, Inform, Restore. He's actually pulled together a lot of the research that kind of supported what I'd learned through the hard way um, about, you know, working less is often the key to more productivity and that kind of thing. He's He, he would be a good guest Perfect. to have on. Uh, I love, I love yeah, it when guests yeah. suggest guests because it, 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 there's a reason, there's a thought process behind it. And if, if it's resonated with you, then there's every chance that it's going yeah. to resonate with with me and also some of the listeners yeah. as well. So yeah, um, I'll come back to you about him and, and see if we can arrange that for yeah. uh, later on in the year. Okay, Ooh, great. Good. Good. Uh, what projects are you currently working on, and how can listeners find out more about these? <laughs> well, one of the things that um, uh, combined with the Mansprout area is um, I'm developing an online platform called the sprout academy <laughs> believe it or not um and it's still sort of again work in progress but being but the reason for that is because um i love creating videos and teachers and what have you but i also think that perhaps the online platform is a way to for for books to engage a little bit more in that anonymous you know, not necessarily turn up in a class. They can go online to access some of the same material. So the man sprouts um, some of the content there. I'm going to put into the Sprout Academy, which won't just be for blokes, but the idea is to offer this, the developmental um, models and learning and stress management tools, well-being um, strategies, etc., in um, relaxation ideas and, and what have you, into a, a, a a platform where you can kind of engage with that material at your time, you know, in your own time, etc. So the Sprout Academy is the work in progress, um, and you can, um, if you want to know more, because I haven't quite set up a page for it yet, um, it's just email me, dave at stressedguru.com, or check out the website, stressedguru.com, and there will be more coming onto the website in due course for that. We'll make sure they are included in the show notes. Now, final question, Dave. This is your final yep. takeaway for the listeners. Oh, right. <sighs> Permission to be human is a phrase that I picked up from a book called Happier by Hal Ben-Shahar. And it struck me and I use it a lot in the workshops. Um, I think it's something that we don't give ourselves enough, uh, do enough. You know, we'll drive ourselves far harder, far less forgivingly than we would um 
a vehicle or a piece of machinery. And actually, that permission to be human is about just acknowledging we're physical, we're emotional, we're psychological creatures. We'll have up days, down days. We'll be hard on ourselves. We'll, you know, we'll do all sorts. Let's just give ourselves permission to be human and make mistakes, apologize when need to, make amends, but then learn, grow, and invest some time in your own self-care, growth, and the relationships that really, really matter to you close to hand, because they're the things that you think about on your deathbed. I'll help about that finishing the end with the deathbed. <laughs> but looking back, I like, well, let's change that to the rock and chair test. If you're sitting in your rock and chair age, whatever, you want to be looking back. You're going to be thinking about the, the, the relationships, the friendships, the love, the fun times, the happy times. You're not going to be thinking about the times that you were hard on yourself or that you didn't work hard enough, et cetera, et cetera. So permission to be human. Beautiful. I love it. What a wonderful message to leave myself and the listeners with. Dave, thank you very much indeed. For thank you. I've enjoyed it. You're an absolute superstar and it's been an absolute pleasure <laughs> to spend some time with you. So thank you very much for agreeing to come on the show. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks to everybody. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode with Dave Algio and want to find out more details, then please do check out the show notes. For all the information, including Dave's website and social media. Tune in next time to hear me talking to Di Murray, who runs an organisation called Coming Up For Air. Until then, remember this. When you have a balance, enjoy it. When you've got an imbalance, embrace it. For in those moments, you're striving towards achieving your next success, increasing your happiness, or looking for greater fulfillment in your life. Bye for now.